the business needed a disruption. And every disruption needs a disruptor. Yep. And disruptors don't usually inure the benefit of their disruption. Other people do. Yep. But you're the disruptor. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Out of Character with me, Ryan Satin. This week, as you can see, I am not in the studio like normal. I'm in a very, very fancy place here with a very, very fancy man, a man who absolutely needs no introduction whatsoever. I know that's a very cliche thing to say, but I really feel like if you're watching this, you know the man that I'm sitting here with. You know Paul Heyman. Paul, thank you so much for joining me today. Sure. So, first of all, it's very hot. I want everyone to know that it's very hot where we're sitting right now. I'm very sweaty, so please excuse my sweat. We're in Los Angeles. It's very hot. I don't know how you're not sweating in a suit. Like, I, I don't know. I, I feel like I feel like you wearing a suit all the time that you've, like, uh, created this armor where you're always cool in a suit because I could not wear a suit all the time like you do. I'm just cool being Paul Heyman. <laughs> okay, well, that makes sense. Well, okay, so I start every episode of my show with the same question, and I'm going to start it off with you asking the same thing. How much of your real true self is there in the character that you play on TV? I'm trying to figure out how much of the character I play on TV is inside my true self. <laughs> I, I have a feeling that the, that, the, that the persona I present on television is, is closer to my true self than the persona that I present when I'm trying to persuade people that this is my true self off camera. So, Do you think that you kind of... When you were younger in the industry, did you feel the same way when you were just first breaking in that you were kind of like, the, the character that you were playing on TV was closer to yourself or were you trying to make something up, do you think? Well, there was always a strategy in what I was doing. There was always a reason why I, I was taking the character a certain way. Uh, and, 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 and some of it uh, passed the test of time and some of it, in my opinion, bluntly doesn't. Uh, but, I mean, there was always a... Um, an intention, a purpose for what I was going to be doing on camera uh, and, and, and the way that I would play a, a certain scene out or, or, or a moment out. Um, and, and, and a lot of that just had to do with what I could inject into it naturally, without thinking, you know, just doing. And so you have to tap into different sides of your own personality. I feel like a lot of people who watch wrestling now, younger fans, don't realize that you've been around the wrestling industry since you were like 13 years old. I think that, I mean, even when I watched, I rewatched your documentary to prep for this, and I'm like, man, it's crazy to think, like, I couldn't picture now a 13 year old infiltrating the wrestling business in the way that you did. And back then, they were running even qualified D1 athletes out the door by breaking their legs in, in the Tampa Sportatorium and having you walk in the door and getting stretched and hooked by Jack Briscoe and Jerry Briscoe and Bob Roop and Hiro Matsuda. And, you know, and here comes Mr. Hattori, who's about five foot four and 115 pounds. They would stretch everybody uh, that, that would walk in, you know, 300-pound football players, you know, would just, would just get their asses beat by 115-pound Masahatori. So, um, and then that's how you broke in newcomers to the business. And certainly someone who wasn't an athlete, and I was never an athlete, and certainly someone who wasn't qualified to, to say, oh, one day I'll take all these bumps and we'll all make money together. Uh, <laughs> that, that wasn't going to be me. But, but I, 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 I just was in the right place at the right time with the right set of circumstances, with, with the right moments that just I lucked into that got me accepted enough to where once 
some of these very hardened old school veterans would just hear some of the ideas that I was very eager to pitch. <laughs> um, they're like, well, okay, you know what? The kid sees this a little differently. And, but it was always based on, on, on an enormous amount of respect. An enormous amount of respect for what they did as performers for, for, for the art form of it all. And, and, and I, I think that they, that they understood that. And just the, uh, the, the level of respect that I had um, allowed me into that locker room, you know, that allowed me to be uh, accepted by a, a, a crop, a roster of some very salty uh, legends <laughs> that would not welcome even people that were going to be coming up through the ranks of the business, and I was only a teenager, you know. Who was the first one to befriend you of that old guard that kind of, like, did listen to your ideas? Arnold Skoland. Arnold Skoland, you know. I mean, and, and, and it's funny because, to me, that Arnold Skoland will go down in history as, um, as the, the manager for Bruno Sammartino, the manager for Bob Backlund, the golden boy Arnold Skoland. When, in fact, what Skoland should go down in history for, besides the fact that he was one of Vincent James McMahon's original partners, mm-hmm. uh, besides the fact that he and his wife Betty built uh, certain of the, uh, of, of the smaller venues, like, like the Westchester County Center in White Plains, New York, uh, for Vincent James McMahon, for the Capital Wrestling Corporation. Uh, but Arnold Skoland was the, the, the Brock Lesnar, the Kurt Angle of, of his day. He, he was the toughest man in the industry. He was a hooker. He wasn't just a shooter. He, he would hook people. He you know separate tendon from bone. <laughs> yeah. um, when, when Vincent James McMahon took over the bookings for Andre the Giant in Japan from Frank Valois, he sent Arnold Skoland with Andre to stand ringside in case anybody tried to double-cross Andre. <laughs> That's so crazy. So if you're actually sitting there thinking, oh, you know what's be a good idea today? Let's double-cross the giant. <laughs> the same giant that dragged Blackjack Mulligan out into the ocean and tried to drown him. There's, you know, all these legendary Andre the Giant stories. You know, who's his bodyguard? Arnold Skoland. Think about this. What was San Martino's reputation back in the day? What was Bob Backlund's reputation back in the day, you know, for, from the NCAA, from being an amateur wrestler? Who was their bodyguard? And make no mistake about it, Arnold Skoland was ringside in case some other promoter paid off somebody to hit the ring and take down Bruno San Martino or take, hit the ring and try to beat up Bob Backlund, which anybody that you talk to from that era will tell you was an impossible task. <laughs> But yet, if you happen to have this thought in your head, you also had to take into consideration, uh-oh, I have to deal with Arnold Skoland. What a frightening human being this had to be. And he, uh, he I, I got my first press pass from him because Vincent James McMahon sent me down to the Holland Hotel on 42nd Street and 8th Avenue in New York City to pick up my press pass. And he was like, where are you from, kid? Oh, I'm from Westchester Island. He lived in Elmsford. So he, he was very close and invited me to the Westchester County Center and let me do the programs to the event so I could make, make a little bit of money while I was there. And I ended up helping set up chairs and everything else. And, you know, I'll come in the back. We'll take some pictures with some people. And, um, you know, what did you think of the show? And then I would tell him my honest thoughts. And he was like, oh, okay, you look at this thing a little differently than, than everybody else. Yeah, I try to. Was, you don't need an opinion that you already have. And then he would, t- you know, hey, Monsoon, come here a minute. Kid, 
Tell them that I did it, you had, you know? And it's like, you know. Wait, this is at 13 when this was happening? Uh, a little older. A little older. It was, it, it, I, I really started to get into the mix after Shea Stadium, which was August 9th, 1980. So by the time we hit the garden in September, I had just turned 15. Okay. And that's when I really started to get to know people and ended up driving Freddie Blassie home uh, when he forgot his stuff for Allentown and Hamburg, even though I didn't have a driver's license. Uh, <laughs> but. Well, you know, Freddie Blassie, Grand Wizard, Lou Albano is another you know, yeah. group of guys who you know, famously took you under their wing, yes. gave you wisdom and stuff. Um, just like, what was, what was that like working with those guys? Those three guys are such legends of the industry that like, not a lot of yeah. people have stories with anymore. See, it's funny. I never really looked around my environment and went, wow, I can't believe this is happening. I've always felt this is supposed to be happening to me, or this is what I want to be happening to me, so how do I create the environment in which it does happen to me? You know, yeah. um, it, it's like when I was a kid, I used, to, I, used, I, I used to scribble, which made my mother so happy with me, uh, <laughs> on, on, on my wall, make it happen. You know, I was like, I really like that with an exclamation point. Um, and, and, and then as, as, as I got a little bit older, it was, it was three exclamation points, because one, wasn't enough of an emphasis, um, <laughs> but that was it. I never, I never like looked around, going like, I can't believe that the Grand Wizard and Freddie Blasi and Lou Albano are teaching me the, you know, the secrets of, of how they've held this fiefdom in the WWF for so many years. I couldn't imagine life being any different than them doing it with me, because that's the position that I wanted to be in. And then you have a choice in life of either making that happen, seizing the moment, capitalizing on the opportunity, ex- exploiting when the circumstances come together, or you don't, and you don't live out your dreams. I've, I've, I've just been very myopic in my um, viewpoint of dreams are there to be chased and to be lived, and the moment that you live them, you go after the next one. Uh, so I, I, I just, you know, when people say, what was it like? It was supposed to be, you know, it was, I don't know. What was it like? You know, and, and, and this is going to, this was, I'm so egotistical and so arrogant. And uh, I, I don't mean it in that way, though. It'll, it'll be accepted in that way. Uh, I'm, I'm sure. Uh, what was it like for them to have this kid, you know, that, 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 that you know, like, like they all adopted, you know, I was, like, I was like the bastard child of the three wise men of the East. Yeah, well, it reminds me of like that show Young Rock, but with a little Jewish kid, you know? Like- yeah, oi, oi, vey, but a finish. How could you do this in the garden? In the garden? Let's get a condition, talk about it. You know, it's, uh, I don't know. It, it, it's, 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 it's what I was meant to do, you know? It's like, I can't imagine the trajectory would be any other way. I actually completely understand that. Like, I, it's funny that you say make it happen is like your mantra, was your mantra growing up because that's always been my mantra as well. And that's crazy for me to hear you say that because like my whole life, my dad was always just make it happen. That's what he always said to me. Anytime I wanted to do anything, go out for anything, it was just make it happen, always. And so uh, that's always been my mantra too. So I, I actually completely understand that in yeah. some weird way. Yeah, I'm also, I'm also I'm not, a failure. I'm not afraid of failure. Yeah. And we're all going to fail. I mean, nobody bats a thousand. You know, again, using the wisdom of my father, my, my, my father used to say, in his best year, Ted Williams, Ted Williams was sent to the dugout six out of ten times that he was up at the plate. And they made a big deal when he made it to four out of ten, he made it to first base. And it's like, when you look at it from that perspective, 
you know? Okay. And then again, you know, you, you, failure, failure just means you tried something that either the circumstances dictated it ain't going to happen for you yet, or you weren't ready, you yourself weren't ready to achieve that goal yet. But, but you learn along the way, and you learn what went wrong, and either you apply it to the same pursuit when you go back for it again, or the next pursuit that you make, you say, okay, wait a second. I'm going to get something out of that failure. I'm going to profit from that failure. I'm, 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 I'm going to get something positive from that failure that then I can apply to this and, and this goal will be achieved because that goal wasn't. So maybe that goal was the sacrifice. Yep. Was, was the collateral damage for this goal to actually happen. Yeah, that actually makes complete sense to me. But what is... Would you say, though, if there's anything, because you did learn from three of, like, the godfathers of, of managers, oh, you oh, know? Yeah. Uh, is there anything that they taught you that you still hold to this day, like, just, like, the main things of being, you know, an advocate or a special counsel to someone? You know, it was, it was, it was a lot. You know, it, it was, it was um, because they were such different people and such different characters. You know, Albano, Albano always thought it was, you know, Captain Lou Albano presents Ryan Satin, you know. All right, Satin, you know, just stick with me, kid. You're going to be fine. I'm gonna, I'm, you know, you're going to be, you're, you're going to be Lou Albano's top guy. And then to Albano, that was always a designation. It wasn't Bruno San Martino versus, versus Ryan Satin with Lou Albano. It was Bruno San Martino's program with Lou Albano continues and Satin <laughs> is, is this month's flavor of the month, you know. Um, Freddie Blassie always viewed himself as the star Freddie Blassie. He also understood better than Albano that his role was a supporting one. But he also understood coming, you know, going back in that day, Freddie Blassie stopped wrestling full-time in 1972, and he was a huge, huge attraction for years, everywhere that he ever went. New York, California, Japan. My dad still talks about him. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, this was this was the biggest. You know, if Gorgeous George had become a manager, he would have been Freddie Blassie. So Blassie always had the ego tug of letting you know, I'm classy, <laughs> Blassie. <laughs> we drew twenty two thousand with with my guy in the main event. I drew twenty two thousand with me in the main event. You know, <laughs> yes. so. It was, uh, and Blassie always had that internal struggle, but he did understand his role. No one understood the role better than Ernie Roth, uh, the Grand Wizard. He, 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 he was a, 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 a voracious student of the game itself. Uh, and, 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 and he would obsess over where he would stand, how he would stand. Uh, should, should I be this much over your shoulder or this much over your shoulder? What makes you look bigger? What, 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 what brings more attention to you when you say your words? So he, he always, you know, Blassie would do a promo and then his guy would do a promo. Albano, no one could ever figure out where he was going to go. He would just come on and just start ripping and babbling and pissing off Vincent Kennedy McMahon, the, the, the announcer. <laughs> but Ernie would always um, want to develop a routine. You know, I'll say this, which leads into that. Or he'd ask superstar Billy Graham, or he'd ask Don Morocco, or he'd ask Greg Valentine, or he'd ask uh, Bob Orton Jr., or he'd, you know, or he'd ask uh, Sergeant Slaughter, you know, any, any of the guys that he would work with. 
um, what do you want to say? Well, I want to say this. Okay, I have the perfect lead-in. And he'd give you the lead-in that then transitioned perfectly, you know. And they all had their merits in how they approached it. And, 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 and they all had their ways and they all had a vision, you know, and, and they all apply. <laughs> yeah, no, when I was watching, because, I mean, obviously that's not my era, so I went back and I was just while race, researching for this, I went back and I watched a ton of their promos just for fun. Um, and I got caught in like a, a wormhole of just watching them because they're all yeah. so good. And they all do such a great job of just commanding your attention the whole entire time. Mesmerizing. Mesmerizing, yeah. you know. But, um, but again, they, they, they're so different in their approach. Um, doing, doing what Albano did is, is a complete violation of what Blassie did, which was a complete violation of what Ernie Roth did, which was a complete violation of what Albano did. But I also noticed, you know, it's funny that those three guys helped mold you because I did notice in watching their promos that you do seem to kind of like be a combination of the three of them in some way. Oh, how could I not be influenced by them? And, and how could I not want to pay tribute to them while I do this? You know, I mean, th th there have been... A lot of very talented people that have, that have had the opportunity to pick up a microphone here in WWE in the past 20 years. But nobody has been the, the you know, manager, spokesman, uh, advocate, special counsel to the degree that I have. Um, so in, in many ways, as the three wise men were to Vincent James McMahon in the Vincent Kennedy McMahon era, where, where all managers were, were gone, I'm... I, I brought it forward into a new, into a new generation uh, from the old generation. So how could I not pay homage to them while I do it? In the same way that every single day, Vincent, Vincent Kennedy McMahon wears a tie that is the same type of tie that his father used to wear. And he, because every single day he pays homage to his father. Um, I, I paid homage to my father uh, when I came back in 2012, when I called myself the advocate, I was no longer Brock Lesnar's agent. I was his advocate because I witnessed my father in court. My father was was a personal injury attorney, yep. which is an advocate. Yep. And my my father, as we Heyman males are known to do, <laughs> pissed off pissed off an authority figure who at this point was a judge, and <laughs> and the judge would, oh, Mr. Heyman, as we Heymans do get lectured a lot, and, uh, and my father, oh, your honor, your honor. I'm just an advocate. <laughs> and so uh, when I came back in 2012, I said to Brock, I said, hope it's okay with you, I, I want to be your advocate, you know? Because that, that's, that's what my father is, and I'm going to play my father in that role, you know? Like, like my father performing in front of a jury, and, and I'll perform in front of the jury of the audience in the WWE universe. So. Confronting performance concerns has historically been every guy's worst nightmare. Trekking to the doctor's office, another awkward conversation, followed by a long wait at the pharmacy. Who wants it? Not me. Thankfully, help is here at BlueChew.com, offering the first chewables with the same active ingredients as well-known alternatives. So you'll be 100% confident every time that's pretty key plus your online consultation is free and delivery arrives in discreet packaging and here's a special deal for all of our out of character listeners try it for free when you use promo code fox sports at checkout just pay five dollars shipping that's it that's so cheap only five dollars shipping that's bluechew.com promo code fox sports 
to receive your first month free. That's uh, that's where advocate comes from. So of course, there's a lot of things that I do. You know, that I, 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 I will throw things out there sometimes just because it tickles me pink, you know, <laughs> just because I know I'm paying tribute to somebody that deserves to have a tribute paid to them. Mm-hmm. Like I'll throw in a line every now and then and I'll imitate Dusty Rhodes, just one word, you know, just one word. And just because I know inside like, all right, I threw you one dream, you know? <laughs> and it doesn't hurt the promo. Like, I won't do it to dis... Like, I won't woo like Ric Flair just because I want to pay tribute to Ric Because if I do it, it's like, what the f*** did he do that for? Why is Paul Heyman wooing? Right, right. But if I, if I throw in a line, like, you know, you know we're going to beat your ass all over town. <laughs> and it's like, hey, man, you said that like Dusty. And it's like, yeah, but they, it didn't bother anybody for me to do it. And I'm... I'm throwing one to the dream, you know? <laughs> it's I, That's my favorite story in, that, in your entire documentary when I watched it, of just you going to the, the NWA show and just sitting in the back of the booking room and just kind of like putting the hat on and trying to hide it as a young child. Like, I, that, that just blows my mind because I can just never picture that happening now. But I wanted to learn. Yep. You know? I, it, it's, why, it's why when I was sent to do developmental talent in OVW in 2005... Uh, and we did Wednesday TVs, I'd come in on Tuesday night and I'd have a, a, a rough draft of the TV show. And I'd come in with 10 copies and I'd put them out on the desk and I told any talent, I'm going to be there by 9 o'clock. You want to come by? Let's go through the show. Teach you how to format a TV show. Something ever happens to you in the ring and you can't wrestle anymore and you want a career, well, what can you do, kid? Can you format a TV show? As a matter of fact, I can. <laughs> you know? You know, I'm going with it. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, I, I, I too think that like you know, making sure that you have a backup is super important. You know, of learning mm. other trades of like even me with this show, like we have editors and stuff like that, but I'm still editing my own clips. I'm doing all these things because I just want to learn. I want to expand my mind, and I want to be able to have other opportunities if you know they ever present themselves. If, if, if everything falls apart, what are you going to do with the rest of your life? You know, yeah. I mean, how many different productions do I have going on in this house today? You know? <laughs> a lot. I, I mean, you know, I mean, admittedly, it's, it's it's an entire summer's worth all all crammed into one uh, you know one eight day period. But I mean, we we have, we have multi we have. Two reality show sizzle reels. We have one reality show pilot. We have a year's worth of content for, uh, for the Heyman Hustle website. We have, you know, three different looking Larry campaigns coming, you know, coming coming here and doing that. It's, you know, why? Well, you know, why do you keep an agency? Well, why wouldn't I keep an agency? Exactly. You know, why? Because yeah. if this falls apart, I have this. I have something to do that I'm passionate about. You know, I think that's the real important part is the passion. Like, you know, if it's not, if it's it's something you're passionate about, like you enjoy doing all of this, like you enjoy having your, you know, your hands in different jars and stuff like that, and and doing different things to keep your mind active and always be kind of like current. I feel like that's something that, that this helps you with of doing all these things. I, I, current. I just never wanted a real job in my life. <laughs> Fair. Because <laughs> I, I would suck at it. I, I absolutely would suck at no, it. No, you wouldn't. Oh, no, 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 I would. No, like, I, like, see, I, don't, I don't consider anything in show business to be a real job. Like, no, I know. But like you, executive you, director was a 20-hour, 22-hour-a-day job. But I didn't consider it. Like, I don't consider the, the chairman of Disney Studios to be a real job. Okay, fair It's okay. not. It's just not, you know. Oh, h- how many billions on Mickey and Donald this year? <laughs> okay, you know, eh, we'll do lunch, you know. It's... Go to the Heyman place in Bel Air. <laughs> There's a lot going on over there. <laughs> you gotta walk up a big hill to get there. Uh. <laughs> but, but, you know, it's like, yeah, if I'm not passionate about it, I would 
suck. I would suck so, so bad at it. I can't hold a real, I've never had a real job in my life. You've never had one real no, job? No, and you won't frazz with that lady? You do? Because you had a newsletter, newsletter as a kid. But that's right? not a real job. Were you, and you were photographer. I had, I, had a movie po- I had a movie collector's business. Stu- working in Studio 54 doesn't count as a real job? No. No. <laughs> no. What? What? Are you kidding me? The fringe benefits of working at Studio 54, even in 1985, alone. I mean, that place was Caligula, okay? I mean, my God. <laughs> I mean, Jesse Ventura walking around on WWE TV with Plato's Retreat was nothing, nothing compared to what was going on inside Studio 54 in 1985. So a real job? Why? Because I pointed a camera at some people and click, click, and then, and then I had some pictures or I, or, or, I, or, I produ- or I produced shows that I had no right to produce. I mean, I'm, pro- I'm, I'm, I'm producing Chuck and Berry, Chuck Berry, and I'm producing this legend who has fired producers and directors and stagehands and everything else. And I'm going, hey, how you doing? Oh, yeah, because what's your, what's your set list? Oh, thanks a lot. I'm a, I'm a schmuck kid at 19, 20 years old, you know? Um, no, no, no. Studio 54 was a con. It was a hustle. It had nothing to do with a real job. I was winging it every day, just going, oh, man, I hope, hope they don't figure me out. Good job, Mr. Barry. I'll be over here. I love that so much. Yeah, oh, with Liza Minnelli. What do you do? I'm the sound guy. How long have you been the sound guy here? Uh, four years. Oh, so you're from the previous. Oh, yeah, I'm from the Mark Fleischman days. You know what you're doing with the sound guy? Have they ever fired you for incompetence? No. So you know what you're doing, right? Right. Hey, do that. What do you do? Oh, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm the sound booster. How long have you been the sound booster? 11 months. You been fired yet? No. They've been yelled at for incompetence? No. They ever held back your paycheck because you were stupid? No. So you kind of know what you're doing, right? Yeah. Do that. <laughs> you know? Hi, Miss Benelli. You have a, you have a, oh, this is a set list. Wonderful. Oh, we can't wait to work with you. <laughs> Come on. Who else lives a life like this? Oh, man. It was a con. <laughs> Come on. A real job. A real job with the bar backs. A real job with the bartenders. A real job with, with the security guys. A real job with, with you know, with, 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 the, with, the, with, the, with, the, with the janitors, with the people that had to go in and clean up the, clean up the place afterwards. Yeah, I what I they did? They had to clean up a lot, I What bet. I did? Oh, come on. Well, okay. Let's talk about one of your biggest jobs. We'll transition to that. ECW, even if it wasn't a real job, obviously that's like... The thing that you'll probably be remembered for most by people my age, at least, because it was such a cutting edge thing at the time. And I think that, you know, the 90s in general were such a cutting edge time when all that was happening. What, what was inspiring you at that time to kind of take things in an extreme direction? Like, was there anything on TV that was like, man, we should be doing that in wrestling? MTV at the MTV? time. MTV at the time. Nobody, nobody in this industry was cognizant of, of just the... Um, The all-inclusive nature of the culture that MTV had not only permeated, but had taken over. It, it, it was, it was, the early 90s was the MTV generation. I mean, it, it was the most powerful platform. You know, uh, we, 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 we just had four years of a president that, that turned Twitter into the most powerful social media platform. And, and while so many, so many people will use Instagram as their definitive showcase for their lifestyle, Twitter became a press release and became, and became the most influential platform in terms of getting the word out f- 
for something, for news, for breaking news, for an opinion, for an op-ed. Yep. Um, that was MTV in the early 90s. There, 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 there were very few people in America more influential than Kurt Loder. He brought the news to you, you know, when he told you that Kurt Cobain has died. And it, it, it was the definitive moment of the, of, 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 of the grunge generation. So it was that. But it was also influences from when, when I was a kid at home watching reruns on television. I mean, the, 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 whole, the whole thing of, 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 the, of the sideways cameras was, was, from, was from the Adam West TV show Batman when the villains would come on, you know, and there'd be Caesar, you know, the, you'd have Adam, you know, I'm, I am, I am Bruce Wayne, and, you know, and then be Commissioner Gordon, there, there'd be uh, the, the, the big sergeant guy, whatever his name was. Um, I, I want to call him Schultz, but he was from Hogan's Heroes. Um, and, uh, you know, Gordon, right? No, Gordon was the commissioner. Commissioner. Uh, Chief, Chief O'Hara? There we go. Because yeah, right. it has to be an Irish guy. <laughs> You know, had, had to be, had to, had to have an, oh, the copy has to be Irish. Yes. Um, and, 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 and then all of a sudden, you know, Cesar Romero would come on as the Joker, you know. <laughs> and the cam would be like this. And I was like, man, that is just like radically different than anything else that's on. I was five years old at the time watching these reruns. And I always figured I could incorporate it and nobody else was doing it. So when, you know, I would turn the camera sideways on the guys and, you know, just give you just different influences from what was obviously a TV generation. Yeah, when I watch, you know, ECW promos, I, you know, compared to today, I, I mean, not to be a knock on the talent at all today, but I think it, I do feel like you can see where your passion was, was very prevalent in all their promos since you pushed them so hard to like get what you wanted out of them. Right. And, uh, yeah, I, I feel like it really did help bring a sense of reality to wrestling back then. Well, what I wanted out of them was the best that they could be. Yeah. I wanted stardom for them and out of them. I wanted to present stars uh, out of people who at some point would be looking at themselves not understanding that they could be stars. You know, um, it's... Uh, the, the mindset behind ECW was the business needed a disruption. And every disruption needs a disruptor. Yep. And disruptors don't usually inure the benefit of their disruption, other people do. Yep. But you're the disruptor. Yes, <laughs> totally. You're the guy that turned it upside down. You're the guy that influenced where the business went. And that's what we were. We weren't, you know, it, it, I mean, influencer is the big word today, but we were the influencers, you know. We were the ones that changed the game. Um, and, and, and we did it on our own terms, with our own wacky way. <laughs> um, but But that's... That's who we were, you know. Bubba Ray Dudley has a great idea, has a great uh, assessment of what, of what what ECW ended up being. We were Napster. We, we weren't we weren't meant to stick around. We were meant to completely disrupt disrupt the status quo, change the game, and then go away. You know, and be like, okay, you know, how did this happen? Well, you ever hear of Napster? You know. <laughs> Yes, and, I you love know, that. And 50 years from now, when you look back at Stone Cold Steve Austin and The Rock and DX and, and Mr. McMahon and, and The Undertaker and, 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 and all the, the, the different things that they were doing, you know, they were just so revolutionary television time. Wow, how did that happen? How did they get by the censors? How did they get that on USA Network? You ever hear ECW? <laughs> you know, it's the same thing, and, that, and that's who we were. We, 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 we got into it. We became a cause. You know, everybody talks about the rah-rah speeches behind the scenes. Which and, were awesome. Well, thank you, you know. But, but they were awesome because they were genuine. 
Again, that's, you know, was that, you know, was that in character? Was that out of character? There, there, was, there was character in it, you know? There, there was, there was, um, it was character-driven. It was to, designed to get their characters out of them, you know? But it was a cause. It really was a cause, you know, and and it was a cause that we, that that we believed in, or at least most of us believed in. I know I, 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 I certainly believed in it. Now, whether that's me falling from my own or drinking my own Kool Aid, I don't really know, and I don't really take the time to assess. I just know that I believed in it, and I believed that we were there to change the industry, and the goal was to change the industry, and the goal was to present a different take on sports entertainment or pro wrestling or. Whatever we we were or that we are, we wanted to give it a different look, different feel, different presentation. We accomplished that. It was a disruption. Yep. Some people had to be the disruptor. <laughs> well, we got. I am. <laughs> well, we got one last topic here, uh, and then I'm going to go into my closer because I'm. I'm I can talk to you all day, obviously, but you have a ton of stuff going on, and I'm very gracious of your time. But I got two questions. One is about SummerSlam because we're shooting this before SummerSlam. It's going to come out after SummerSlam, but I'm just wondering. Did you guys like how Roman Reigns beat the living crap out of John Cena and tossed him aside like the Hollywood POS that he truly is? And your tribal chief appreciates your acknowledgement. Sir. That's actually what I wanted out of you. So perfect. That's what I was wondering. I needed one just kind of like definitive statement on what you think that Roman is going to be doing this weekend with uh, John Cena and that. Making history. Yeah, I feel like this I feel like this is Roman's biggest match as champion, right? Oh, absolutely. There's no question, right? Oh, absolutely. How could it not be? You know, and, and should be. I mean, hey, he's John Cena. He's John Cena. He's he's a 16-time champion and rightfully so he is the biggest box office attraction in wwe for the past 15 years and rightfully so he is now and Dwayne johnson may have a problem with this but he is pretty much the biggest box office star in hollywood certainly the biggest action adventure star in hollywood right now and rightfully so the man had some time at home and said you know i should learn mandarin and not only learned how to speak it, but he understands it. So if someone would communicate with him in Mandarin, he knows how. Yes. That's a work ethic. He could probably do good at a regular job. I think John Cena would excel at anything that he chose to yeah. do in life. I mean, he's, that, that's just him. He's, he's just, he, 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 you know, they talk about Super Cena. He's superhuman. His work ethic is superhuman, and, 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 and he's passionate about it, and he's, and he's enthusiastic about it. There's a reason why he's John Cena. There's a reason why he's so successful. Uh, and he deserves all the credit in the world. A- at the very same time, what a guy to beat. Oh, yeah. What a guy to beat. You know, uh, we're, we're, not, we're not stepping in there with, you know, Joey Baloney, you know. <laughs> you, know it's, you know, it's not Tony Tomato Can over there. You know, we're stepping into the ring with the guy, with, with, with the man, with, with, with the biggest box office attraction in WWE and sports entertainment and in movies for the past, for the past decade and a half. And, um, and, and, and someone who de- over-delivers. Over-delivers. Yep. On, you know, Big Show John. And, yep. There's a reason why he's that, you know, and so we're not just beating anybody. Uh, we, we, we are really solidifying Roman Reigns' legend here. We are really solidifying his claim of being the GOAT, you know. Um, wow. 
Wow, we get to beat John Cena at SummerSlam. I am like, I don't think I've been this excited to see a title match in person in in like a long time. Like, I'm so pumped for this. Yeah, I, 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 I share your feelings on that. I share the exhilaration. All right. Well, now I got my closer here. I got three quick questions. Uh, they're usually I do these about someone's finishing move, but you don't have a finishing move. You're a promo guy, so I'm gonna change it a little bit to be about promos. So first. Who is your favorite person to have a promo segment with and why? Stephanie McMahon. Why? Because she's very real out there. Because she's authentic. And, um, and, and, and whether she knows what you're going to say or not know what you're going to say, she's three steps ahead at all times. So if you're not four steps ahead, uh, you're playing catch up with her. And she's so invested in the character. Just the little nuances that she does. The way she can sit there and stare you down and tr- hold back the smile, but the smile starts to break through. Uh, a very underrated performer. Uh, and, and, and an interesting, intriguing, um, challenging person. To, to, to stand across the ring with, with, with microphones in your hand. Because it can go different ways really quickly with Stephanie. Is there any promo you've done that you wish you could take back? For whatever All reason? of them. All of them? <laughs> All of them. Oh, I can't stand watching myself. Really? Yeah. You don't like to watch any of your promos? I, I watch it after I do them. Um, do you have to wait a few days or anything? No, no, I do it immediately. Okay. And then I stop. <laughs> See, mine's the opposite. Like, when I do these shows, I'm like, even if I feel comfortable when I leave, I gotta wait a few days because I know I'm just gonna beat myself up. The oh, I, be, I beat it. myself up. I'll, I'll accept it when I see it right away. But after, <laughs> after about 48 hours, oh, God. Why, did I, oh, why, why was my... I, 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 I hyperanalyze it. And, 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 I, and I know I'm screwing myself over when I do it, so I just stop doing it. And, and, I, and, and, and I'll trust my level of performance while I'm doing it not to beat myself up so much afterwards by avoiding watching it. I can't stand watching my old stuff. Like, I, I, like ECW uh, or like uh, even uh, further? Uh, uh, I can't stand watching even my stuff from the early run here with, with, with Roman. I just, I, I really? Think, yeah, I just, I would, well, here's the thing. If I'm not a, I'm, I'm, this is the highest level I can be. I consider this more accountability, more responsibility, um, a, a bigger platform, a bigger job than when I was executive director of Raw. I, I think if you brought me back last August and you put the Universal and the WWE Championships on, not that I'd be a good champion, because I wouldn't be. <laughs> but if you did, it wouldn't be as big as what I'm doing right here with Roman. This is the biggest thing I could be doing. I am attached to the hip of the undisputed, uncontroverted, number one superstar in not only WWE, but in all of sports entertainment. And I'm working with him, I assure you, as much behind the scenes as I do on camera. This is a, this is a legit, professional, collaborative effort. Um, I only want this gig as long as I'm the man for it, or the woman for it, or whatever, you know, the human being, the, the, the being for it, as long as I'm the best for it. 
If there's someone that comes along that would serve Roman Reigns better, serve the character Roman Reigns better, serve the marketing of Roman Reigns better, serve the intellectual property Roman Reigns better, serve WWE better in this capacity, I want them to have the gig. I don't ever want to be second best at anything. I just don't. Yep. I can't juggle. I wish I could juggle. I watch jugglers, right? I'm like, oh man, I wish I could do that. <laughs> and I can't. I blatantly can't. I can't tap dance. I watch James Cagney tapping, tap dancing down the staircase and Yankee Doodle Danny. I'm like, man, I wish I could do that. And, 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 and I can't. I just blatantly can't. Um, there, there are things that I, I would like to be able to do in life. And I blatantly can't. I can't dunk a basketball. I wish I could dunk a basketball. I can't dunk a basketball. You put a ba I, I can't get you know, six inches off the ground. <laughs> You know, I'm flat-footed, I'm, no I'm flat-footed, I'm splay-footed, I have no hips, I have no athletic ability, and, I, and, I, and I'm Jewish. So jumping up is just a schlep for me. Yeah. Darling, I don't want to schlep, you know? Um, but this I can do, you know? And as long as I can do it better than anybody else, and I dare say I do it better than anybody else, and I even dare say I do it better than anybody else has ever done it, that I've redefined the medium that, you know, from manager to advocate to to special counsel and that may be again me drinking my own kool-aid but it tastes good at the moment um you know so i'm challenged every day to be better now long story even longer if my promos tomorrow are not better than my promos today and my promos two days from now are not better than my promos tomorrow i'm not progressing i'm not getting better throw me out the door get rid of me okay it's, it's time for me to go the whole point is to be better tomorrow so if i look back a month a month ago and I don't go, oh, God, why did I say it that way? Why did I do, oh, why did I, why did I, oh, God, I sucked compared to now. Compared to now. And it has to be that way. Yep. I want to look back on my interviews from, from going into this SummerSlam in a month and just go like, God, how could they not fire me? You know, that, that, I, you need to get better and better and better and better. Yeah, no, I, I that, yeah, I... Why, that's why I can't watch the first episode of the show because I'm like, oh man, I like, I did that, I did this. Why didn't I do that? Why didn't I ask this? Why didn't I follow up there? So I that as a creative person, I mean, that connects with me. 100%. I mean, f 51 weeks ago, when when this Roman Reigns returned, if he looks back on that person, that you know, he's gonna see oh, 51 weeks of progress. He's invested in that concept as well. I, I need to be 51 weeks better than when we returned. Need to be. Better be. Better be a whole week better than I was last week. Someone else wants this gig. A lot of people want this gig. And if you don't want this gig, you're out of your freaking mind. This is the gig to have. Trust me. This is the gig. Yes. I got to defend it. Yep. I'm, 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 I'm not abdicating my throne. I'm, I'm defending it passionately every single time. Well, I think that's the perfect way to close here. I could not be more thankful for you doing this today. I, I, I have a million things I've always wanted to pick your brain about, so it's super cool to just be able to sit here and chat for 45 minutes and just kind of like hear about your early beginnings and stuff in the industry and stuff and, and just hearing what you're thinking about now too. I think that all of this stuff is very valuable to anyone who watches wrestling or wants to be in the business. So thank you again for doing this. I really appreciate it. Pleasure's all mine. That was Paul Heyman, everybody. This is Out of Character. Make sure you subscribe on all the platforms. Make sure you subscribe to the YouTube channel. Make sure you follow us on Instagram as well. Okay, that's it. I'm done. Officially tapping out for now. Until next time, I'm Ryan Satin, and this is Out of Character. For the best stories, easy-to-find scores, and comprehensive team pages, 
plus access to every live Fox Sports game and exclusive bonus cameras, download the all-new Fox Sports app now. <laughs> 